Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Philippians and what it looks like to live a joy-filled life in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Sean Brower and Milligan Williams. And Sean, will you tell us a little bit about how you and Milligan know one another? So the first time we met was very brief, and we were living in a house we were renting from the Pollard family. And we had just bought a house, and we were getting ready to move out. And the Pollards were already looking for who they could have to rent it. And Milligan came over with two of her friends, and that's the first time we met. And then now we both work in Baker House. So I'm upstairs on the second floor landing So I get the privilege of seeing everybody that comes up and down and all the campus outreach people are upstairs and I have fun with all the sweet girls back and forth and we talk and catch up and yep, connect. That's very fun. And if you're listening, you don't know what the Baker House is. The Baker House is one of the buildings on our church campus. Two stories, been around for a long time. So long, in fact, that 20 some years ago when I was a youth ministry intern, a woman named Shirley Dorenzo sat at the desk that you're sitting at now And I remember how much I appreciated her loving maternal self sitting at that desk, welcoming me, telling me all sorts of various things I needed to know about life. So the tradition goes on. I love it. And it's very beautiful now. Yes. People haven't come to see it. They need to see it. That's true. Baker House has been redone. Mm, It looks great. All right. Well, let's move into our first things first question. And you're going to answer the question. And then you're also going to give a brief bio about yourself. So the first things first question is, when was the first time you remember going roller skating? And Milligan, you get to kick us off. So I'm Milligan. I'm originally from Vidalia, Georgia, where the onions are. (laughs) And now I work for Campus Outreach Augusta, which is a Christian ministry to college students. We focus on evangelism and discipleship, but I work in our office as a communications coordinator. So I do admin ministry most of the time in Baker where Sean is, but then I also get to spend time with students at AU, which is really fun. Um, Let's see, roller skating. I don't love roller skating and it probably goes back to this first time. I remember being in elementary school and I think it was someone's birthday party. I really don't know. I just don't have very good balance and I never have. And I'm out there. I'm mostly hugging the wall. (laughs) I don't know what to do. But I finally escaped from the wall and like venture out a little bit. But I fell and I fell on my skate like under me and it just really hurt. And I hated it. (laughs) I really have not ever liked roller skating since then. Uh, Just not my favorite. Did you give it up that day? Like, did you get off the rink and say, that's it, I'm done? Yes. Later, because I work for a college ministry, we still have to do roller skating things sometimes. And I have since had to be out there again. And it's better. I haven't had as bad of an experience, but it's really never something I'm going to pick. Don't they have those like walkers on wheels oh, that you can take word. out into the roller skating you rink can. if you really need uh, it? I have done that. I have held onto someone's hand or arm. Please hold me up. The last time I did something like that was actually ice skating. And I just thought it was the same, but cold and wet. Yeah, I hear you. All right, Sean, what about you? So I am Sean Brower and I am married to Sean Brower. We Most love people this. know that. I think we go by he, Sean and she, Sean. <laughs> Um, We have three boys, um, Joshua is married to Kyra, and he lives on Lookout Mountain, and he is the high school youth director at Lookout Mountain Prez. And um, Josiah 
is 22, and he is just recently started as a rookie firefighter EMT in Birmingham at a Hoover Fire Station. And then we have Jacob, who's 20, and he lives here with us, and he has also done EMT school and is waiting to take that big national registry test and so he can be employed. And we have a dog named Aspen that's very loved in our house and very spoiled. How did you come across the name Aspen? Well, we got her right after we moved to Birmingham, and we went on a trip to Colorado uh-huh. before we, we picked her out, but then we went on a trip, and then we came back and got her when she was old enough, and so that's what inspired the name Aspen. I was wondering, because I used to live in Colorado, and when you say Aspen, I thought, oh, there's got to be some type of connection. All right, so what about roller skating? So I was trying to think of a fun story, because really all I could think of was the first time I went was high school end of story. (laughs) And that was kind of boring. So um, I actually lived in Japan for two years when I was in eighth and ninth grade. And so I thought, I wonder if I had ever gone roller skating in Japan, that would be interesting. So Mm -hmm. I called my mom because I couldn't remember for sure. And she was like, No, you never did. But you actually went roller skating the first time when you were in elementary school. And she said that she took me, I was by myself, I think, and um, she was sitting there watching me roller skate and thinking, oh, she looks so cute. And so that's my roller skating story. Well, what I think is funny is that it made such an impression that you didn't remember it. I guess. Skin. That's right. Yeah. Well, you obviously must have been pretty good if you were out there and your mama could sit on the side and just let you go. I must have been. I don't remember. It comes naturally. That's impressive. I don't remember my age, probably like elementary school birthday party. It feels like a classic first introduction to roller skating. Definitely remember the suede brown boot part with the orange wheels. And I feel like there may have been some Skittles that tasted like cigarette smoke involved. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, you could smoke inside them. Not me personally, but you Uh, know, Mm -hmm. uh, my eight year old self. Um, But honestly, I don't. I never loved roller skating, and maybe because I didn't go a lot. But my grandmother bought me some the roller, the inline skates, roller blades. Yeah, is that mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we lived in a rural area, so we did not have any concrete to speak of at our in my home. But when we went to her house, oh, I would rollerblade it up. It was so fun on the sidewalk or on the street in her driveway. Yeah, maybe in the street a little bit if she wasn't watching. Yeah, rollerblade is another level. Yeah, I went straight from like rollerblading to like I'm going to the Olympics in ice skating. Well, I share that middle school stories with y'all I couldn't remember the exact time I went either I just remember going for various things like birthday parties or church events and I couldn't wait till it got to couple skate because I was sure that I was going to have some cute boy without a sweaty hand (laughs) to couple skate with you know when the lights go down they got that little stop disco ball (laughs) thank you disco ball going I could skate pretty well but I could never fully skate backwards that was always kind of like my goal level but Mm -hmm. I I couldn't get it but I felt like I was really exceptional at the turns Mm -hmm. so I would I would really just put myself into the turns you know your arms are kind of flying out to the side and you just Mm -hmm. feel like you're super smooth Mm -hmm. yeah were you going to the Olympics or not probably (laughs) I think I was but we laugh roller skating is fun because there's other people there people to hold on to right Milligan people to hold hands with Mm. roller skating is one of those things that I think is better done in community you know, as, as silly as that is, I think that is true. And we are in the process of looking at a book called Philippians that has a lot to do with community. And you'll remember if you've been listening 
that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter primarily really to thank the Philippian believers. They had shared with him, partnered with him very practically in his ministry for several years. And so he's sending them a thank you letter. And in doing so, he's also encouraging them to remember who they are in Christ and who they are with one another, to remember the joy of the Lord, and then to work out that joy in their lives in different practical ways. And up to this point, we have seen how Paul points them to what they have in Christ, how he believes that the good work Christ has started in in them, he will finish. And he gives an example from his own life that, hey, even though my circumstances could lead you to believe that this gospel is not advancing, that things are going backwards instead of forwards, don't believe that. The gospel is advancing through these hard circumstances. The Lord is doing his work in me and through me. And in that, I rejoice. And I want you to know that so you can have the same confidence yourself. Live lives worthy of that good news that you have been called into. And so now we're at the point in Paul's letter where he's going to get a little bit specific with one of the main things he wants for this Philippian church, and that is unity. This church is a church that he loves deeply. Like I've already said, they've partnered with him for a long time. They have love for one another. They have love for Paul. And yet, even so, you can tell by the themes that Paul chooses to write about in this letter that they struggle with some brewing disunity. Something's going on that's threatening that unity that they share together, and Paul wants to speak to that because he knows how important it is for them and for the witness of Christ that they stay unified. And so we are coming into that portion of the letter in chapter 2, verses 11 through 20. And if you're listening and you haven't read those verses, I'd encourage you to hit the pause button, stop, read them, and then come back and join in the conversation because you really will get more out of it if you do. In these verses, like one of the mountain peaks of Christology, you have a well-known Christ hymn that Paul is using as both an example of humility and our identity is connected to the humble Savior. We live humbly as the body of Christ because we are united to this humble Savior. It's not just a doctrinal truth to understand and to try to do likewise, but it's more of a doctrinal truth to live out because it has been lived into us and for us. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit more about what you saw in that Christ hymn. Paul has been leading us. And I mean, this is one of the richer places in the whole Philippian letter. Like you feel like he's been, if he's a conductor, like his elbows have been down by his side and now his elbows are out. He's like really firing up the orchestra. And so I think here we see that he is saying, listen, this, my joy is, is complete because I've known this love of the savior. And I feel like he's reminding them of their first love, partly because he's bringing to mind this Christ hymn that would have been well circulated in that first century church. Like this would have been familiar to them chances are. And so they would have known this to be true, like you were saying, like this, a doctrinal statement. But he's also saying that this is not just like a doctrine that sits on the page and we're remembering these important things about who Jesus is, but these are the way that because of the way Jesus lived, it informs the way that we live. And only when we live this way, can we exist in this sort of unity that I'm calling you to. So I think a couple of challenges that he's issuing in this piece is that you can lead this life that Christ lived where we empty our out, we pour ourselves out as an offering pleasing unto the Lord, or you can chase the emptiness of putting yourself as the prize. And when you, I think when you phrase it that way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, yes, I want to choose to pour out my life the way that Christ did and to be used up for his glory. 
So I think that it seems like that is the obvious choice that we want to pursue the Lord. And so he's just going to flesh this out a little bit more. He's given us an example earlier of what it, uh, he's t- written to the Philippians saying, I know what this looks like. I've had these guys that are preaching and teaching in my absence, like while I'm in jail, I know what it feels like to have some friction or disunity going on around you. And he knows that's happening in the Philippian church. And he's writing, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is not, I'm sitting in a classroom selecting the right answer. This is how we do this. And it is a miracle. I think that's one of the biggest things. Anytime I see this type of fruit, it's not our nature to defer to another. It's not our nature to live a self-effacing life. So I think this is just one more time we see the miracle of our new nature, our new heart, like God has breathed life into us mm-hmm. and given us, like walked us through from death to life. And I, th- I mean, Paul's just talked about that. And now he's just saying, this is what it looks like when unity is at stake. This is what it looks like to defer to one another, to live in a, in a body. I think you were pulling out some of that corporate language and we're not, I know it's very much in our Western lens to live our, our faith individually. And he's saying, no, this is a corporate function. We are the body of Christ. When you think that, man, that's who I'm tied to, then of course, that is how I should live. And of course, your your mind goes to the book of John where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And he says, if I, your teacher and your Lord would wash your feet, so you too should wash one another's feet. You are united to me. This is how we live together as the body of Christ. That's so interesting you pulled that out. I was reading when I was studying for this passage, it compared that Christ hymn to that passage in John. Yeah. So I think there are obvious parallels there that he humbled himself and he's showing us that servant-minded upside-down kingdom. Yeah. I was reading a commentary and they made the point, there's no middle ground. You either get to empty yourself in obedience to Christ or you're going to pursue selfish ambition. There is no middle ground. I thought, oh, that's, that is true. And of course, I'm very much prone uh, to looking towards myself, thinking towards myself, trying to take care of myself. Yeah, I think that's why I've, I've, it seems to me like it is like that call back to our first love. Like he's sitting in prison and he's reminding them that I have joy here because I've known the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness covers me. And I am filled with that. And my heart burns for you guys. Like I have so much love for you. And remember the master that you serve, that Jesus is the prize, like winning, having the right ideas, having the most likes or followers or however we might relate to that in our current context. That's not the prize. Those things might be cool. They might even be God honoring. But the prize is that we are loved by a good savior. And I think you were pointing that earlier when we were talking about how Jesus is the prize and we all have our hand on the same trophy. Right. I love that image. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. My, my youngest just recently won a basketball championship, middle school basketball championship, which is a big, big moment when you're <laughs> 14. And to see those boys, they all want to touch that trophy. Like as a team, they all want to get their hands on that trophy for that picture, because in that moment, that's what they're centered around. And if you think Christ is that prize that has been given to us, we all have our hands on that trophy. When you know that your hand is on that prize, then mm-hmm. you can let go of, of the ways that you're trying to yeah. take care of yourself yeah. because Truly then you know you're only, loved. Yeah. The, only then can we be at rest. All right. So what about you ladies? When you think about our union with Christ, how does that comfort and encourage you in a way that you're willing and empowered to live in unity with the body of Christ? So when I think about what it means to have union with Christ and meditate on it, it's very overwhelming to me to dwell on what Christ had to do for me, which we kind of talked about, you guys kind of talked about a little bit, um, in order 
for me to have union with him. A dead person in total depravity, what he had to do to raise me to life so that I could have peace and fellowship with him. And that fact of what gives me union with Christ comforts me in that it gives me a sense of safety and security and rest in him. I can rest that I know I'm safe and my union with Christ, and I can rest in who I am in Christ and how much I'm loved by Christ. And as a believer, I also have this in common with others who have union with Christ, so that it creates a bond unique to believers because we understand what's been done for us and want to show that same love to each other. The verse that comes to mind is Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So just as Christ has union with us and lives in us and walks with us in our struggles and our challenges and our attempts to overcome sin, so we have unity with the body of Christ, which flows into a desire to support each other and encourage one another to overcome our struggles. And I was thinking back in my life uh, about different examples of sharing in struggles and encouraging each other in our union with Christ. And um, when we were first married and then looking to start a family, I had three miscarriages. It took a while to get pregnant and then three miscarriages and I held it to myself for a long time and when I finally started to share with people I started to realize that there were a lot of other women going through infertility and struggles like that and so we started a support group together to encourage ourselves and to strengthen each other to be faithful and trust in God's plan and his timing for our lives and our families lives and what it held for our futures and we were able to walk with each other in that journey and cry together and rejoice together. And when someone got pregnant or someone adopted, we could celebrate together. And then later in life, just having boys, we have three boys and boys quickly humble you. (laughs) And so I naturally gravitated to other moms with boys. And so several of my friends are moms of three boys. So just, um, being able to share with each other the struggles of raising three boys and encourage each other when we were frustrated. We often felt shame when our kids didn't perform or behave in the way we thought other people were thinking they should. My husband was an administrator in our schools, wherever we were. And so I always felt this pressure that my kids had to behave a certain way. And when they didn't, felt like I was failing or incompetent. And so having friends that we could come alongside each other and support each other and encourage each other to continue to just uh, work towards raising them from a godly perspective and pray for each other in that. So having that unity in Christ with them instead of judging or tearing down was just a huge blessing to me. And now at this stage of my life, God has given me many opportunities to encourage other moms who aren't as far along as me in that journey and are having those challenges with their boys to support them and help them find resources and pray with them and just remind them that they're not in it alone. When you were talking about what you have appreciated about your union with Christ, you mentioned the words, I'm safe, I'm loved, I feel that sense of security. And then you found other beliefs, you, sh- you had a shared hope and you had a shared safety And so in that, the Lord brought people into your life who shared a same struggle or a sadness or just the challenge of raising three boys. And you were able to open up and let them see places that maybe you wouldn't if you didn't feel that sense of love and safety and security. So in the body of Christ, I do think we uniquely have, could have, should have. Uh, a an ability to be transparent with one another because we know 
how the Lord has covered our deep shame. And so we can be vulnerable and transparent because we're safe and we're loved. And we can encourage each other in a mutual hope. And the combination of those two things is a wonderful gift of Christian unity. Yeah, I love how y'all are drawing out. Like it moves us toward worship that we have that have been loved by God, that we are moved toward worship, but we're moved toward others. And we understand their desperation, their deadness of heart, their shame, because we too have known it and we've been delivered from it. And I think that is something that uniquely knits our hearts together. And while you do feel safe in that union with Christ because of our sin nature, at least for me, I tend to go to the unsafe place Mm -hmm. in the doubt. And so that Christian um, unity with with other friends brings us back up into reminding us how important that is and how secure our relationship with Christ and then each other is. Yeah, absolutely. Not only do you speak that to one another, you live it with one another and you're assured of the faith that you have and that's a tangible expression of it. What do you think, Milligan? This is cool how the same question can bring out really different things depending on your season. I feel like I've been in a season of transition, which truly it feels like your 20s. That's what it is. But since college, I graduated college in May 2022 and moved to Augusta in November of that year. So it's been a little over a year. And I feel like since then, God has really been revealing a lot of insecurities in my heart, especially about relating toward others, the body. My senior year of college was very comfortable. I felt very established. I had really sweet friends. I felt known and loved there. And the challenge of post-grad is moving away from that and kind of starting afresh. So moving, starting a new job, joining a new church, stripped me of some of those things of relying on them. And really, God has taught me this lesson again and again in seasons of transition, but He is my very best friend. He chooses me. He loves me. He is affectionate toward me. He's loyal to me. And all that is only true because of union with Christ, because of what Jesus has done for me. And so union with Christ comforts me because he's my best friend. He can give me strength and confidence to actually be someone who reaches out to others. So when I'm not thinking about union in Christ, I'm insecure. And that keeps me focusing on myself, thinking I won't have enough or be enough to give to other people. But when my identity is actually secure in Christ and my union with him, I am the one that he loves. I'm freed up from trying to impress other people and I can move toward others kind of like what y'all have been talking about to love them a verse that I've come to love to relate to this is Proverbs eleven twenty five, which says whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered so I know that by being a friend and living a life that sees things like just kindness and curiosity about other people as a ministry God's going to care for my needs as well he's not going to leave me hanging out to dry I'm not going to lack Really, my joy is going to be full, like what Paul's saying in Philippians, as I am one with the body, my joy is full. This can play out, I feel like, in small ways, like just being a person who initiates toward other people. Somebody has to text first. Somebody has to say hello, trying to ask good questions about other people. And when people do that to me, it makes me feel so cared for. Or like you were saying, really to be honest and vulnerable with people is a way to minister, to like open that door of open communication. And all of that is really only true because I'm secure because of my union in Christ. Oh, that's really helpful. I, I was telling a friend recently, I'm you know, in my forties. <laughs> and I I was said, how can I still be acting like a middle school girl? Like I was I was going through some friendship things that I haven't gone through in a while. And it brought to the surface some of what you're talking about, that tendency in myself to make friends and think, what do people want from me? What should I be? How can I be it? Because I want something from them. You know, I want a sense of belonging or a sense of approval or whatnot. And it's it's really been the Lord doing some work in me to say, can I offer myself to people 
out of the fullness of what I experience in Christ. And sometimes that's scary being the first one who texts or feeling like you put yourself out there and maybe somebody doesn't doesn't respond to you in the way you hope. But it's so much more life giving to believe, hey, I have something to offer here, something to contribute. Not the kind of like, man, I got something to offer. I got something to contribute. Wait till you see what that is. But I really want that joy of entering into relationship and I'm going to do it by faith, confidently believing that I have something good to give. And that's a whole different way of looking at building relationships. And I thought I should know that by now. I'm in my mid forties <laughs> and maybe I do to some degree, but it's kind of like one of those lessons that you think you got it until something happens and you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, maybe I need to revisit that one. So, so I've true. been, I've been grateful for that. And even just studying this passage, I've thought, Oh yeah. Am I wanting to put my hand on the same trophy? Is that what I feel like we share? Mm. Or am I wanting something else? So that's an encouragement to me, Milligan, just to hear you say that. And to know that that's how you're thinking, even (laughs) in your 20s. It's great. So we are talking about the unity and the goodness of that unity that we share with one another. And the fact that our unity with Christ gives us the confidence to move out towards one another, to comfort one another, to walk alongside of one another. But I also want to tease out a little bit the fact that when we do that, we do it humbly And so not only is unity something that maybe doesn't always come naturally to us, but humility, that's not really something that our culture values. And it's not something that our natural human core self values either coming underneath someone coming underneath the authority of the Lord. And then by doing that, coming underneath someone else to serve them. So that's not something that is easy for us as you were considering how verses six through eight particularly talk about the way Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the Father to become a servant to us. How did meditating on that inform the way you think about engaging in something like your church involvement or your friendships, leadership, families, job, work, community service, all good things. But how do you think about doing those humbly versus in an effort to bring attention and glory to yourself? So I really looked at that passage and meditated on several of the words and phrases in those verses. And um, so the phrase equality with God, he was in the kingdom of heaven, but he became a servant. And when I was a little girl, I was a very girly girl, and it was all about the princesses and the princes and living in the kingdom. And my friends and I would um, dress up as princesses. We would put on plays for our moms princess plays in the kingdoms. We watched all the Disney princess movies. And I just remember I went to a Christian school and I was in church and Sunday school. And I remember hearing about what God did for us, what he gave up and came to earth for. And I remember thinking, if I had that, you know, because we've already, we've always played kingdom and being in a kingdom and What an aspiration it was to be a princess and be in a kingdom. How could he give that up for me? Like, I just remember as a young girl thinking, wow, he gave that up for me. That was very humbling for me, even at a very young age. The other words in the one of the verses was he found in human form. He was perfect, flawless, pain-free, and he gave that up to have a body for us to be with us forever. And then humbled himself. Uh, He wasn't humbled For me, something has to usually happen to me um, to make me realize I need to be humbled about it. He wasn't humbled. He humbled himself. Mm. It was his choice that he did this. He became obedient. He was God, yet he submitted himself to his father. We have a good friend in Orlando who has been a life coach for business executives for years. And one of the things he often said was um, become obedient becoming obedient was the one thing that Christ had to learn because he didn't want to go to the cross, but he did it 
willingly. He was willing to do it. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And then to the point of death, he was in perfect unity with God, and yet he chose to die and experience separation from God for a time to redeem his people. So when I thought about how does this change the way I engage in church involvement, friendships, leadership, family, community service, I realized that it boils down to two things for me. Am I doing those things out of selfish ambition or control? Or am I doing those things with the motivation for service? Am I being involved in church because I want to be a leader and I want people to know my name? Or am I doing it because I want to serve others? Am I being a friend to someone because I want to manipulate them to get my needs met? Or am I being a friend to them because I want to encourage them in Christ? Do I want a position of leadership because I want control or because I want to serve? So that's how I thought about it. What, what do you do when you realize that maybe I'm doing this for wrong motives? Well, often as being a believer and having union with Christ, we're convicted of our sins. So that's one thing is that I feel a conviction about it. And the other thing is that we have, I have friends around me who I can go to, to who will tell me, who will be honest with me mm-hmm. and remind me about what my intention should be. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that you have experienced what it is like to enter into a unified body through service and care for one another. That's always just a good corrective too. to be like, man, this other thing, it's just not measuring up. I mean, it's not life giving. Ultimately, it doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to the betterment of other people or myself. Usually for me, it, it leads to resentment, anger and burnout. And so it's the fact that we could believe that service and servanthood is just sort of martyrdom. And there is a sense in which we are giving up our lives for sure, not to downplay that, but that the result is life. We give up life and yet we experience life. Life to the full. Yeah. yeah. Life to Different the full. Different kind of life for sure. Yeah. What do you think, Milligan? My first thought when you ask this question, how does it humble me? It's just that it's difficult. I, when me and Sean were talking about it at the office, I was like, this is a hard question because humility is hard. And I feel like I love these verses. They're beautiful, but they definitely highlight how I am unlike Jesus. And I really thought about the area of work the most right now. I just, I crave recognition for my achievements and I crave praise from others. I want them to think highly of me. And I, I mean, I work in ministry, you know, we're giving God glory for it all the time, but it's very easy for my motives to be mixed or wrong. I want to be the one that had that like pivotal conversation with a student or I want to be the one that had the groundbreaking idea at the office and everyone's impressed. I want to be the one that led someone to Christ and somehow take some kind of credit for that. And all of that really is to feed my pride. And then when I think about that and my own tendencies and I look at this passage, it's even more amazing. Jesus is God and yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He really deserved all the glory and the praise unlike me. And yet he laid down his rights to those things for our sake and even for my sake and my sin. And the reality is, unlike Jesus, anything good that I do is because of him in and through me. I don't even deserve any credit anyway. And Jesus' humility convicts me of my desire to be praised and recognized. A cure for that, one way to fight some of that sin is just honestly to keep looking at the gospel and believing the gospel. When I am impressed by the gospel, I realize that I don't deserve any glory in my work and all the glory of anything good going on in ministry is going to the Lord. And 
in the gospel, I don't need that recognition so badly anymore. Like I have everything I need in Christ and it's all because of him anyway. I can minister faithfully. I can minister quietly without praise, knowing that I have God's favor because of Jesus and he's going to accomplish his purposes anyway. And really pride, when I think about it that way, pride is slavery for myself, like always trying to be impressive. I'm going to be a slave to that, but instead believing the gospel makes me free as a minister. You bring out the good point just in the first thing you said is it's humbling because you realize how much you're not like Jesus. And we can look at that Christ him and rightfully say, this is our example. And then rightfully say, oh man, how far am I from that? And yet to remember, we have been given the mind of Christ corporately because we are in Christ, that we have been given this ability to live in unity with one another. And I think part of that too is if Christ was willing to not lay hold of all of his rights for us, then yes, we want to join him in that. We have the ability to join him in that, not hold on to all of our rights or all of, all of our glory. And then yet Christ was exalted. It doesn't end with his humiliation, but it ends in the exaltation that follows that humility, that at the very end of the Christ hymn, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And I just think that's where we're going to find ourselves in complete adoration in the presence of Christ because of what he has done for us. And anything else that we might think we're going to add to that <laughs> really does become absolutely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Well, and Melian, when you're talking about it, it just gives you the freedom to minister to others. I mean, how beautiful is that? We can re- realize what God's word tells us, that he has drawn pleasant boundaries for us. He's given us good work to go do. He's prepared work for us to do in advance. And instead of saying, I'm going to work to earn a badge or whatever, like the things that we will naturally be drawn to to earn some sort of respect for ourselves or whatever, he said, no, this is good. I've given you this work to do. Go and do it and enjoy it. And Amber and I were talking about earlier just how that concept of enjoying God and how enjoying fellowship with him, enjoying the work that he's given us to do, enjoying the people that he's put around us, that is a gift. And I think sometimes we we miss the mark in even enjoying all the goodness that he's put around us. We are touching on this already just in the fact of fixing our eyes on who Christ is, both in how he humbled himself and then in his exaltation does inform how we then relate to one another. And Sinclair Ferguson has this quote. He says, if the father exalts Jesus to the highest place, he will find any lesser honor accorded to his son intolerable. Here then is one way in which we can recognize those whose hearts are really in tune with God's. What do they make of Jesus? If we do not desire to see him honored, then we are at odds with the Father. The reality of our faith in his Son is very much in doubt. And so reading that, I thought that was a good reality check for me is the fact that the Father desires the Son to be honored and glorified. And how did that quote challenge you all to consider what you personally make of Jesus? Well, this goes along a lot with what you were saying, Milligan. For me, just wanting the glory, wanting the attention for doing something well, I feel like it's always going to be a battle. My mission in life should be to make to know Christ and to make Him known, to make less of myself in order to make more of Him. But when I battle with my sin nature every day, I tend to want to make more of myself. Like Paul says in Romans 7, I'm fighting the battle of desiring to do what is right, but not having the ability to carry it out. And it takes great humility to put anyone first over myself, let alone Jesus. But when I do, 
I find so much more peace and contentment in my life. I'm not competing with Christ for who is on the throne of my life, but rather I'm resting in who he is and who I am in him. And one of my favorite hymns is, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And I was looking at the hymn and trying to figure out which part I was going to read, but I wanted to read the whole thing. So (laughs) you have to go and find it and read it. That hymn keeps coming up. I've been listening to that on repeat Mm -hmm. for the last couple months. It is rich theology. Mm. When I think about this quote, it is very challenging. And if you asked me if I wanted the son to be honored, I would say yes. I want Jesus to be honored in my life. But what's challenging is how often do my actions actually display that that's my desire. And my actions really do show what I believe and what I value. We all do what we want to do in some sense. And so... One way I was challenged thinking about if I'm making much of Jesus or of me is just how I spend my time. Often I spend way too much time on entertainment and just honestly thinking about me. And there are days that go by that say I didn't have much time to spend time with the Lord to be in his presence. But I didn't really make that time to study his word or pray. But those priorities are backwards. And I don't want to prioritize things that are so fleeting, like entertainment, time on my phone, time in front of the TV, in comparison to time with Christ, like the one that really satisfies. And what is, you know, strong about this quote is he's saying, if I'm not making much of Christ, I'm at odds with the Father, and I really don't want to find myself there. And I know that I experience the most joy and satisfaction when I'm not drowning myself in worthless pursuits, but when I'm when I have Jesus at the center and display that with my time, I know that I was like, I was made to worship him and he deserves first place. Like all of these verses say, he is going to have the highest place and be exalted. And I was made for him to be that way in my life. And I think we could get, I could get a little paranoid and think, oh my gosh, my faith is in doubt. I'm at odds <sighs> with, with the father every time I have a selfish motivation. That's mm. scary because there's a lot of them. I don't think that that's what Sinclair is trying to say is this constant self-analyzation. Are your motives perfect and pure? But it is pointing out to us. And at the center, ultimately, is Christ. And if I have no love for that, no language for that, no desire for that, then I may want to question what really is at the heart of what I would call Christianity. If Jesus isn't at the heart, then I'm not in line with the Father. As we were talking about this idea of Christ's exaltation following his humiliation, we, he, we read this phrase of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And when you read the name, like the idea of the name in Old Testament or New Testament, we're not talking about my name is Aaron, your name is Amber. We've got Shauna Milligan, like not just plain old names that we're talking about. My name is not plain. Plain. Mm-mm. It's Amber with an E. Mm-hmm. I love it. But we're talking about our how true character Like your name would be revealing the true character of who you are, the essence of who you are. So when we read this here, I think it's easy to miss in the English that we just read the name of Jesus and we're like, oh, Jesus, the name Jesus. But he's saying that the true character of who Yahweh, our Lord, is revealed in the man that we see as Jesus, the historical figure of Jesus. And that is God moving toward us in love. He's moving toward us in mercy. And yes, he gave up his kingdom, but he came to gain a people for himself and call people into himself. And so I think that's just a beautiful way to end that Christ hymn is that we are reminded that Jesus is both Savior. He's the Messiah Savior. He's also our Lord, who is our Yahweh God. And he's revealed himself as servant and in love and in mercy and moving toward us. And we are called toward that same type of character. Aaron, when you're saying that, and I'm trying to comprehend just the fact that you're saying it's not a plain name, that at the name of Jesus, that I'm going to have a view 
of the character of Jesus Christ in a way that I have not yet been able mm. to understand or to see or to fully ascertain. Yeah. And I will be led to this worship mm-hmm. that puts me on my knees mm-hmm. right next to you and right next to Sean and right mm-hmm. next to Milligan and right next to everybody else in the body of FPC and the universal church. And so I do love that at the end of this Christ hymn, it ends with unity. We yeah. will be unified in worship that's where that unity comes from when we fully see and understand who christ is shauna milligan thank you for joining us today listeners we hope you'll join us again next week let us keep you company while you're making chili for the super bowl or cutting out some heart-shaped cookies julian and mary battle will be joining us to talk about philippians 2 verses 12 through 30 we hope you'll listen in sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of clear shining To cheer it after the rain